Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, January the 24th, 2024. On this edition of The Politocrat, President Joe Biden speaks before the United Auto Workers Union and is endorsed by that union. Plus, the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, gives a speech in Wisconsin from this past Monday on the 51st anniversary of the United States Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade. All of that coming up next. Dear listener, happy hump day to you. Happy hump day to you. Happy hump day to you. Happy hump day, dear listener. Happy hump day to you. <laughs> yes, indeed, it is Wednesday. Welcome, welcome aboard, dear listener, to this edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Yours truly, Omar Moore here, wishing you a happy hump day. I hope it is a day that will go well for you wherever you may be or that has been going well for you whenever you happen to be listening to this particular episode of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. I do hope that your day is going the way you would like it to go, the way you want it to go, and continued good health to you and yours. Yes, indeed. So it is Wednesday. We're almost at the end of January. This time next week, it will be the last day of the month of January. Incredible, isn't it? How time doth fly. And it does. It does. It truly does. So I hope that you are doing good things with the time that you have. Time is so precious. And so we must really take stock of every moment. Do not take it for granted. Time really is only here for a fleeting second for each and every one of us. And so we have to do the good things, positive things with it. We also have to have time to relax and reflect as well. But every moment counts. Every single second really does count. I'm a strong believer in that. So I want to start with that on this Wednesday. And I do want to say that I'll be talking, really, I won't be doing much talking at all beyond, I guess, the words I'll be talking here. Um, Two speeches, one of which is a partial speech. I'll play a part of the speech. And then the other, I'll play the full speech. Now, the partial speech will be the one I'll be playing in a few moments from President Joe Biden, who today spoke at the Union of Auto Workers. That's right, the Union of Auto Workers, the United Auto Workers, I should say. Uh, the United Auto Workers. And i got to tell you, uh, it was a f- really passionate speech at times. Um, I only caught quite frankly, the last 10 or 11 minutes of it, which is why it's partial. And I wanted to play that much to you because I do think that um, what I am going to be playing to you is is something that you need to hear. Um, President Biden may not be at times the most articulate person, but certainly when he knows how to fire up a crowd, he does do it and you can hear it in this speech. So I'll be playing you that coming up in a few minutes time, a few moments time. And then the second speech that you're going to be hearing Um, which I did talk about in the open, is the speech of Vice President Kamala Harris. She gave the speech in Wisconsin, and it was on the 51st anniversary of the United States Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade. And that was this past Monday. I forgot to even mention that on the episode on Monday. How dare I? I mean, I was aware that the anniversary was Monday, but I just 
did not remember to bring it up and mention it on Monday during the episode. So my apologies. Uh, how dare I? The sad thing, not my memory. The sad thing, not, you know, the memory is not the sad thing. Um, the memory is is a is thing that's gonna gonna fade like it does for all of us. I think when we get older. But the sad thing is, is that Roe versus Wade, in case you've been living under a rock, is no longer uh, the law of the land. It is no longer the law of the land. Remember that in June of 2022, the United States Supreme Court with six conservatives, extremists, fascists, six of them, right, are on that court. And in a 5-4 decision, I think it was Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, who actually crossed to be with the three open-minded judges. I'm not even going to start calling them liberal anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call them the three open-minded judges, justices. Um, he joined with them, but ultimately the five radical conservatives were the ones who said, no, let's get rid of Roe versus Wade. It's no longer the law of the land. There is no federal right or federal constitutional right to an abortion in the United States. That's really what the ruling held, is that there's no federal right in the Constitution to an abortion. And so that is really um, what happened. And that was the Dobbs decision. If you remember that correctly, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Center. That was a health center in Mississippi. And um, the people in Dobbs... Uh, the, which is Dobbs was the attorney general in in Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken. I may, may have that wrong. Um, but the bottom line is, is that he brought this to the Supreme Court and his team did. And before a conservative Supreme Court, and all of us knew what was going to happen. All of us, each and every one of us, knew that this would be overturned, especially when we then knew about the leaked audio, the leaked opinion from Alito, um, and that was leaked by someone. It's never been found out or known whom. Um, but the bottom line is that was leaked about maybe two and a half months, I think it was, April of 2022, um, about two and a half months, roughly two months or so before we found out the actual decision when it came down in at the end of June of that same year. So that is really what uh, I'll be talking about already what both what what the vice president will be talking about, and you really have to listen to that speech and a very important speech. Um, you're going to be hearing a lot more of the campaign speeches of President Biden and Vice President Harris as we go along here throughout this calendar year that is 2024, dear listener, because as you know, in November there's a general election here in the United States, and as you also know. It is a critical election. And as you also know, the primaries have begun. I'll talk about the primaries in the primary in New Hampshire very briefly when I return. Nikki Haley call attention to this in her speech tonight. Donald Trump has raised eyebrows recently for garbling basic facts and confusing one political rival for another. Take a look at this. We have become a drug-infested, crime-ridden nation which is incapable of solving even the smallest, smallest problem. We are an institute 
in a powerful death penalty. Ding, 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 ding. They've only got 17 seconds to figure this whole thing out, right? Boom. Okay. Missile launch. Pshing, boom. Obama dropped missiles and they ended up hitting a kindergarten. If that's the case, he's going to end up being indicted when he leaves office. Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people, soldiers, National Guard, whatever they want. They turned it down. They were funding Hezbollah and Hamas. When I came here, everyone thought Bush was going to win. They thought Bush because Bush supposedly was a military person. Great. You know what? He was a military. He got us into the... Uh, he got us into the Middle East. With Obama, we won an election that everyone said couldn't be won. We would be in World War II very quickly if we're going to be relying on this man. Yes, that actually was the twice impeached, 91 count indicted piece of garbage who, yeah, actually said those things. You heard the slurred speech. You heard the ridiculous rantings of a absolutely disgusting human being who wants to be a dictator, who has said publicly that he wants to be. And that compilation of audio, courtesy of MSNBC, which played that last night around 11.15 at night, Eastern time, I mean... That was a compilation of audio, video for television's sake, that happened all in the last four months. All of what you just heard happened within the last four months. This slurring his speech, tripping over words, saying things that don't make sense. And we're only just getting to hear about a lot of this in some cases literally just yesterday. And all of these attacks on President Biden, oh, he's too old, oh, polls say he's too old, and people think we should have a different candidate running for the Democratic side, and oh, Democratic voters aren't happy with Biden, they think he's too old. All of this manufactured garbage from people in the corporate news media, be it print, be it television, be it radio, cable, whatever you want to pick. pick. Take one. Pick one. They have been pumping this into us for months and months and years, almost since the day that President Biden was sworn in three years and four days ago. It's absolute nonsense, dear listener. And the truth is, in my view, is that the corporate news media is so desperate for a piece of garbage and criminal like this twice-impeached, 91-count-indicted buffoon and racist that they will say his name a million times an hour, every hour, every day. Because that's what they do. All they ever talk about is this guy. Sometimes you hear commentators on these networks actually calling him by his last name and putting the word president in front of it, the nerve, as if he is somehow currently the president. I mean, the corporate news media is just as much culpable as anyone else in where this piece of garbage is.
He won the New Hampshire primary in the Republican side, on the Republican side last night. And you see Chiron at the bottom of your TV screen saying, oh, um, he eyes the nomination. He eyes the nomination. Haley is still going to stay in the race. As if they're begging for her by default to get out with the Chiron. There's so many contests left to go before we even get a certainty on the nominee for the Republican side. And we've been told, you and I, dear listener, for the last year plus that it was going to be Biden against this piece of garbage again. We've been told that. Can we actually let the process play out, corporate news media? Can we actually let the process play out before you coronate this piece of filth as the Republican nominee? I know you're desperate, you're begging for him to be back in the White House so your ratings can shoot through the roof and your advertising revenue can go flying sky high. I know that your bosses and the people who own the networks that you sit in front of and do the bidding of are so desperate for this filth bag to come back in to cut their taxes even more and to tank the country because your owners who sign your check. They don't care about the rest of the country. They care only about themselves. It's like Jamie Dimon last week talking garbage. Oh, don't talk badly about his voters. Don't talk badly about them. He did a really good job with the economy, which of course he didn't. It's a lie. And again, the reason I talk about this now is two reasons. One, I'm going to play you the speech from President Biden, part of it today that he gave at the United Auto Workers Union. I am going to play that in a few moments, a part of that speech, about 10, 11 minutes of it. And then I'm going to play you what Vice President Kamala Harris had to say on Monday in Wisconsin on the 51st anniversary of the Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade. And those clips that you just heard were two from this past Monday in New Hampshire, just so that you know. One from Fox News on Monday, when he talked about Obama. Obama dropped bombs on, uh, on, kinder- on a kindergartner. I mean, this is just crazy. He said this on Monday of this week, just two days ago on Fox freaking so-called news. The clip after that where he talks about going to Nikki Haley and Nikki Haley provided us security. Nikki Haley provided us security. This is the guy that 33 or 34% of the people in this country who vote want to put back in office. The vast majority of them white people. I, you know, again, black folk are the moral conscience of America. And so are Native Americans for that matter. But I'm talking about in terms of appealing to the moral conscience of human beings across this country. Black folk have done that like no one else. And we're the ones who get out there and tell you, you have to be better than this. And you've got a number of people who are white who are not better than this. This is who they are. Voting for trash buckets. Because after all, after a while, I can sit here and talk about this piece of garbage and I try not to on this podcast as much as I can. Try not to. Ultimately, this is not about the piece of garbage. It's about us. It's about us. 
And that's why I play those clips. The other clips that you heard, the one where he talked about Hezbollah, uh, Hezbollah, Hezbollah, and he says all this nonsense, that was October 28th of this past year. I mean, this stuff is crazy. The stuff about Nikki Haley and the security, that was last Friday. Did you hear about these clips? Did you hear about these clips before just now? Then there was two on September 25th, one on September 15th, and then there was another on September 15th about World War II. We could be flying into World War II. We could... We... I mean, you're talking about President Biden being old? And this guy is three years younger than Biden, and he sounds ten times worse. In terms of the way he speaks, and he is ten times, he is, you can't even compare these two people. So I'm going to stop comparing, because there is no comparison, and there is no choice, dear listener. This November, vote Biden and Harris. This November, vote Democratic down the ballot, all down your voting ballot. Make sure you vote for Democrats, really, because they are going to be the ones who do the things you want them to do for the betterment, not just of yourself, but of the whole country. So that's where I want to go with this. And I'm telling you, you listen to those clips again. You can run this podcast episode back and listen to those audio clips again that you just heard and tell me, that you want that in the White House again. Of all the craziness that happened under his watch, all the things he did, he tanked the economy, he lost more jobs than he did when he had job when he came into office and he was given a great economy by Obama. And this guy lost more jobs, lost jobs. Only he and only one other president left office having lost more jobs than when they came in. And that would be Herbert Hoover. In fact, in the speech I'm about to play to you, dear listener, President Biden actually makes reference to this. This guy is a failure. This indicted, twice impeached piece of garbage is a failure. And it really does reveal something about the American public that the vast majority of the people who vote for him, who are white, have clearly seen what he's about, know what he's about, know his record, have seen his record, have seen the damage done to the country, and you're still going to vote for him. Obviously, you're a cult. That's clear. It's also clear to me that you're racist and sexist, and you hate people who don't look like you, and you hate people who don't have the views you have, and you hate people who are Muslim or Jewish you cannot stand people who aren't like you. I'm now going to, dear listener, play you the 11-minute speech from President Biden. Actually, it was a bit more than 11 minutes. But I want to play you the last 11 minutes of it because that's when I literally walked into the speech and saw that uh, President Biden was speaking having realized also that the United Auto Workers had actually endorsed President Biden. If you remember, last year, President Biden became the first sitting president of the United States 
to join a picket line during a strike. None other had ever done this before. None other. No other president of the United States had ever joined striking workers on a picket line ever in the history of this country. But President Biden became the first president ever in this country's history to do that. I think it was last October or November when he actually did join a picket line. And he spoke through a bullhorn. I played part of that on this podcast at the time it happened. So President Biden has been a very strong union president. If you look at the things that he's done, again, I'll go into the accomplishments um, coming up, I think, tomorrow or Friday, I'll do this. He's helped so many union workers with the policies that he and Harris have put in, um, with Congress, who have banded together to do some of these things. His executive orders have been really important in this regard as well. You really, really have to dig through the record, and I will be doing that coming up on Thursday or Friday of this week. So please stay tuned here on the Politocrat Daily Podcast. But here now are the last 11 minutes of President Biden's speech today at the UAW. He represents researchers in higher education and workers. And because of this union, I'm pleased and proud that you expanded the UAW to include 5,000 researchers at the National Institute of Health, UAW workers. to God, I've always believed that the union movement in America is important because it produces the best skilled workers in the world. That's what happens. It's good for everybody. It's good for companies. It increases the quality of the jobs, the quality of the products. And it's good for economic growth. In fact, I asked, which is unusual for a president to do, I asked the Treasury Department to do a significant study, most comprehensive report ever detailing how unions are good for all workers, including non-union workers, how they found that unions raise standards across workplaces and industry, improving skills and saving, pushing up wages, strengthening the benefits for everyone. It matters. It matters. It matters. And some of corporate America finally began to figure it out. And look at what we're doing. It's good for workers and companies. Since I took office, we've attracted billions of dollars in investment here in the United States. We supercharge advanced manufacturing, including electric vehicles made by union workers in America. China's determined, China's determined to dominate that market with EV predominantly made in China and Chinese jobs. The previous administration consent was content to sit in the sidelines and let China take all these jobs. But I won't let that happen. I will not. That's why I That's why I pushed and drafted the Chips and Science Act, investing more than 50 billion dollars in manufacturing semiconductors here at home. Automobiles today require 3,000 chips of these chips to be made. That's why my bipartisan infrastructure law is building a network of 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations all across America installed by your brothers and sisters of the IABW. That's what's doing. Yeah. 
That's why the Inflation Reduction Act was the other team not a single person supported that I signed into law. Dramatically, there's a dramatic incentive for the big three and other auto companies to make it here, their future here in America, with American jobs. Jobs that we want to make, union jobs. That's why I announced $12 billion to help companies that respect their workers implement a just transition to electric vehicle future. Because I strongly believe that companies transitioning to new technology should retool, reboot, and rehire in the same factories, in the same communities, with comparable wages. And existing union workers should have the first shot at those jobs. Sean said, I appointed, I appointed historically pro-union National Labor Relations Board because I don't believe any company should be using threats or tactics to stand in the way of workers' rights to organize, period. And folks, It's been a long time, but these investments are paying off. Since I came to office, by the way, the last guy said he's looking for, he's hoping for a recession. Because he does not want to be the next Herbert Hoover. He's already Herbert Hoover. He's the only president other than Herbert Hoover who lost jobs when he was president. Look, since I came to office, with your help, we've created 14 million new jobs. 14 million. <laughs> Nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs nationwide. And that means we're creating American jobs and exporting American products instead of the other way around like we saw for too long. Unemployment has been below 4% for the longest stretch in 50 years, and it's going down. Wages are up. Household wealth is up. <clears throat> we have the lowest inflation and fastest recovery of any major economy in the world. We have the fastest growing economy in the world. I know we have more to do, and we're making real progress. Over the last year, prices are down on everyday items from a gallon of gasoline to a gallon of milk. And folks are beginning to feel it. Last week, we saw one of the biggest jumps in how positive consumers are about feeling about their personal circumstance. But we have more work to do. But our plan is delivering for the American people, building an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. That's what I said I was going to do. That's what I tried to do as a senator and vice president. But because when we do that, the poor have a ladder up, and the middle class does well, and the wealthy do well. Oh, they should be paying a hell of a lot more taxes. We all do well. It's called Bidenomics. If you notice, all the major, all the major economists who are talking about there's going to be a recession next week, next month, are all of a sudden, they're seeing the Lord. I'm a little worried some of the major economists in American history are now giving me credit. It's like, oh, God, what's going on? But look, 
All kidding aside, this is a fundamental break from what used to be called trickle-down economics. And some Democrat presidents did as well as Republicans. You know, I sat not a lot trickle down on my dad's kitchen table growing up. There wasn't a lot. The idea was that the wealthy do very well. There'll be a lot left over and it'll trickle down to ordinary folks. Well, guess what? That trickle down economy was supercharged by my predecessor. He cut taxes for the very wealthy and the biggest corporations. They shook good paying jobs overseas because labor was cheaper. It shrank public investment in infrastructure and education, invested less. It hollowed out entire communities, closing factories. I'm not making this up. You know this to be true. Closing factories, attacking unions, leaving too many Americans behind. In fact, when Donald Trump was in office, six auto factories closed around the country. Tens of thousands of auto jobs were lost nationwide during Trump's presidency. During my presidency, we've opened 20 auto factories and more to come. We've created more than 250,000 auto jobs all across America. And while I stood in solidarity with you on the picket line, as, a, as your president said, I went on the picket line, Donald Trump went to a non-union shop and attacked you. Let me tell you something I learned a long time ago. If I'm going to be in a fight, I want to be in a fight with you, the UAW. With you. No, no, I mean it. We have a big fight in front of us. We're fundamentally changing the economy of this country. And everybody's getting a little worried about it. The, the very powerful. Some are seeing the light. But changing the economy, taking it from an economy that takes care of those at the top, and changing an economy that gives people who built this country a fair shot. Again, back to my dad. All anyone wants is just a fair shot. Just a fair shot. An even shot to be able to make it. That's what my economic plan is all about. That's what the UAW is all about. That's what the, your battle has been about. The days of working people being dealt out of the deal are over in this country as long as I'm president. Working people are going to get their fair share. You've earned it. You fought for it. And you deserve it. So today I want to say to all of you, thank you. Thank you. I could not be more proud or more honored that you've chosen to stand with me. For all the progress we made together, you're the real hero. I mean, I want to make it clear, you're the heroes of the story. It's not what I did, it's what the American people standing up with backbone did. You're the reason why. And I mean this sincerely. I'm supposedly an expert in foreign policy. I've known every major world leader for the past 25 years. And guess what? As I tell every world leader, remind them, whether they're an adversary or an ally, it's never, ever, ever been a good bet to bet against the American people. Never, never, never. And that's been true throughout history. And it's still true today. Because of you, I mean this, because of you, I've never been more optimistic about America's future. We just have to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. And I mean this. 
There's nothing beyond our capacity when we work together. We're the only nation in the world that's come out of every crisis stronger than we went in. So God bless you all, and may God protect our troops, and God bless the American worker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was President Joe Biden earlier today at the United Auto Workers Union, where, look, it was just a really good speech. And, you know, I really think it's important to listen to these speeches. And I understand there are people who are very upset with President Biden around Palestine and Gaza, and I would be one of them. I also have to say as well that there are a lot of issues domestically that we have to pay attention to in the long term because long term, if you're someone who's angry about Biden and his hugging, basically hugging, not just basically, literally and figuratively hugging Bibi Netanyahu, a war criminal and an indicted human being who is a piece of filth as well. And if you're upset about that, well, yeah, I think your voice needs to be heard. I also think though that it would not be, in my view, in your best interests to decide that you want to sit an election out because it makes no sense to do that. Then you have to ask yourself, then what really is the point of me being here in this country? If there's job growth, if there is a return, a rebound on the economy, which there is, and there's job group growth, which there is, and a low employment, unemployment rate, a low unemployment rate, which there is, and low gas prices, which there are. And I can go on and on. And $35 for insulin and student debt reduced by what? $45 billion or $30 billion, whatever it is. And that's happened. If, I mean, I can go down a whole long list of things that these folks have accomplished. If all of that's happening under this president, why would you use one issue and say, well, I'm not going to vote for him at all? Obviously, we all feel strongly about what's happening in Gaza. It's a genocide. It's disgusting. And I really hope that President Biden gets a lot stronger about what's going on there by withdrawing aid. But we all know, you and I, we're drawing aid from Israel, financial aid, that is, and military aid. But we know that that's not going to happen. But we should make our voices heard and let him know. I don't think, however, that deciding to sit things out is a good idea. What you're saying is, is that the improvements that have affected the lives of millions of people in this country just aren't worth it when it comes to what's going on in Gaza. Now, I understand the prerogative. If you want to sit out on the sideline and not vote, you have a right to do that. I really think that that is what would bring this twice impeached, 91 count indicted filth bag 
back into the White House. And then I can hear you now. Well, President Biden shouldn't be funding Israel. Well, the fact of the matter is, he doesn't fund Israel. It's Congress that does appropriations. They're the ones who do. And furthermore, your taxpayer money and my taxpayer money funds Israel to doing the damaging, dastardly, genocidal things that it is doing to the people of Gaza. So this isn't really so much President Biden as it is all of us. I'm not letting him off the hook. What I am saying is, is that the lens has to be broadened. And I'm not justifying any of what he has done with this because I think he's botched this up badly. The Afghanistan situation in terms of the removal of U.S. personnel from there, that was not under his control. The piece of garbage who was in the White House was the one who had made an arbitrary decision for United States personnel, military personnel to leave at that time. He was the one, not President Biden. Again, People have to educate themselves on what the history is and understand before jumping to conclusions about who did what and when they did it. So I do want to emphasize that, dear listener. If you know people, or it might even be yourself, who are sitting here now going, you know, President Biden has not done enough here. He's cheerleading this. He is standing by this dictator and war criminal in Israel, this genocider in Israel, I'm not going to vote because of that. I'm not going to vote for President Biden because of that. Everything else has been brilliant on, you know, he's cut student debt, he's banned student debt, he's, you know, absolved student debt for so many people, you know, and, you know, over $30 billion of it or whatever it is, the exact figure. He's cut the price of insulin down to 30 bucks or 35 bucks per prescription. You know, he's done all this stuff, but you know, this one thing over here that he's done, and it's a serious one thing, that is a bridge too far. Now, you're going to hear this meme. You're going to hear this. This is the kind of thing that keeps getting pumped. I talked about this earlier. Gets pumped into our consciousness by the media every moment. Oh, they're not going to vote for Biden. Oh, you don't want them to vote for Biden is what you're really doing with the subliminal messaging. You keep pumping that through, pumping it through, pumping it through, pumping it through. And sooner or later, there'll be a substantial amount of people who might just believe the kind of filth that you are spewing, that you are saying. There's always going to be a small percentage of people, as I said in previous episodes, who will not vote for the president that's actually doing very good things. There's always going to be a small percentage. But I do not believe it's the vast majority of this country. And I also am very clear, and I said this many times, that President Biden will be elected to a second term in office, along with Vice President Harris. This is the desperate push of a right wing and some corporatists to get this filthy rat bastard back into the White House. And they will do this by any means they possibly can. 
whether it's disinformation, misinformation, talking about this human being, this piece of garbage, every second of every day in their broadcast. I mean, there's no news anymore that you can see without anything to do with that filth bag in it. They will try everything on you, dear listener, to make you think that this is going to be a close election. Now, look, about a year and a half ago, I predicted it would be. But I also said, and I've said it many times since, that President Biden would be reelected. That's what I've said, and that is what will happen in November. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go out there and vote. You go out there and vote. That's what we have to do. That's what we must do. That's what I will be doing. Anybody who at this point is going, mm, scratch the chin, scratch the chin, scratch the chin, uh, maybe I'll just sit this one out, is not grounded in any reality or perhaps is super rich. There is so much misinformation and lies out here. The attacks on our brains with all of this garbage is going to intensify. If you think it's bad now, you think it's bad now? Wait until we get to September and October. I'm not even talking about November of 2020. I'm talking about September and October of 2024. Wait until the conventions before then. You're going to be hearing all kinds of things. You're going to see more of these deep fakes that I talked about in New Hampshire. I talked about on Monday. You're going to see this all over the place. It's going to be really, really gnarly. It's going to be terrible. But like the poem goes, you have to keep your wits about you. You really do. Keep your head while others lose theirs. Right? And what's more, you'll be a man, my son. That's Rudyard Kipling, if I'm not mistaken. The poem is called If. If. All this fear-mongering that you're hearing on your news broadcasts, on your TVs, on your social medias, all of this nonsense, all of these fake accounts and these troll bots and all the rest of these toxic, disgusting things you see on your timeline. All these people that you never heard of, all of a sudden they're in your timeline talking bullcrap and gaslighting you. You need to just make sure that you purge this stuff out your timeline and start to educate yourself and others, people that you know about what is really happening. Because these folks are disgusting. They will try anything to get you to think that up is down, to get you to think that black is white, to get you to think that the moon is made of green cheese. I'll be right back. Dear listener, welcome back to this brand new edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. It is Wednesday, January the 24th, 2024. I hope you are well. This past Monday, just two days ago, the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, was in Wisconsin, and there she gave this speech on the 51st anniversary of the United States Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade. Listen to this. It is my honor to introduce a longtime champion in the fight for reproductive rights, someone who has fought for women across America as a district attorney, attorney general, senator, 
and now the first woman vice president of the United States of America. Please, let's get a big Wisconsin welcome and join me in welcoming our vice president, Kamala Harris. back in Wisconsin. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Can we please give it up for Dr. Domeyer Klansky for just all she has done and her incredible courage. I had the joy of spending some time with her backstage. You really are fantastic. Um, and of course, it is good to be with my dear friend, Tammy Baldwin. She was here earlier today but she had to go back to Washington for some important votes. And on the subject of Tammy Baldwin, um, I, I want to just mention Tammy because she had to go back to Washington for some important votes. She was here earlier. But I will say, Wisconsin, that you have in her an extraordinary leader. I had the privilege of spending time with her when I was in the Senate. Tammy is always fighting for the people of Wisconsin. And so can we please applaud her for what she does? Thank you. And moving on, I want to say that, um, you know, when we look at where we are as a country, we do know, need those elected leaders among the leaders who are here. For example, Congresswoman Gwen Moore is here, another member of Congress. And all of the state and local leaders who are here, I want to thank you all for the work that you do to uphold one of our nation's highest ideals, the ideal of freedom. Freedom, I believe, is fundamental to the promise of America. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom of assembly, the freedom to vote. In America... Freedom is not to be given. It is not to be bestowed. It is ours by right. By right. And that includes the freedom to make decisions about one's own body. Not the government telling you what to do. Fifty-one years ago today, in the case of Roe v. Wade, the United States Supreme Court recognized the fundamental constitutional right to reproductive freedom. And for nearly half a century, Americans relied on the freedoms protected by Roe. However, 19 months ago, the highest court in our land the court of Thurgood and RBG took a constitutional right from the people of America, from the women of America. And now, on the 51st anniversary of Roe, 
we speak of it in the past tense. In the last 19 months, in states across our nation, extremists have proposed and passed laws that criminalize doctors and punish women. Laws that threaten doctors and nurses with prison time, even for life, simply for providing health care. Laws that in some states make no exception even for rape and incest. Now, many of you know I started my career as a prosecutor, specializing in crimes against women and children. What you may not know is one of the reasons why. So when I was in high school, I learned that one of my best friends was being molested by her stepfather. And so I said to her, you got to come stay with us. I called my mother, and my mother said, of course she should, and she did. So the idea that someone who survives a crime that is violence to their body, a violation to their body, and then would not have the authority to decide what happens to their body next, that's immoral. It's immoral. And let us all agree, one does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree. The government should not be telling her what to do with her body. If she chooses, she will consult her pastor, her priest, her rabbi, her imam, but not the government telling her what to do. This is, in fact, a healthcare crisis. And there is nothing about this that is hypothetical. Today in America, one in three women of reproductive age live in a state with an abortion ban. One in three. And let us understand what that really means for people across our nation. Let us understand the horrific reality that women are facing every single day day since Roe was overturned. I have met women who have had miscarriages in toilets because they were refused care. I met a woman who went to the emergency room during a miscarriage and was turned away because the doctors were afraid they'd be thrown in jail for giving care. And it was only when she developed sepsis that they gave her the care she needed. We know that the majority of women who have abortions are mothers. If they live in a state with an abortion ban and they need to travel to receive care, God help her if she does not have paid leave or affordable childcare.
God help them if they don't have the savings to buy a bus, a train, or a plane ticket, or to book a hotel room. And while these extremists say they are motivated by the health and well-being of women and children, in reality, they ignore the crisis of maternal mortality. The top 10 states with the highest rates of maternal mortality all have abortion bans. The hypocrisy abounds. And let us be clear about what they're up to. These extremists want to roll back the clock to a time before women were treated as full citizens. Wisconsin to the 1800s. Just look at what happened here in this beautiful state of Wisconsin. After Roe was dismantled, extremists evoked a law from 1849 to stop abortion in this state. 1849, before women could vote, before women could hold elected office, before many women could even own property in a state whose motto is forward. <laughs> These extremists are trying to take us backward. Well, we're not having that. We're not having that. And just look at what the fallout has been the reproductive care clinics across the state that had to close, the women that hospitals had to turn away, women like Megan. So Megan learned she was pregnant early last year. A few months later, she and her husband, John, went to their doctor for a routine ultrasound. And it revealed devastating news for them. The fetus had a severe genetic disorder, and Megan's pregnancy threatened her life. But because of that 1849 law, Megan's doctor could not provide a life-saving abortion unless he found two other physicians to sign off. He called doctor after doctor here in Wisconsin, but none were willing to risk going to prison. Ultimately, Megan had to go to Minnesota to receive care. She had to leave the state where she calls home to save her life. Thankfully, late last year, a judge declared that this 1849 law did not apply to abortion, and some clinics in Wisconsin have since reopened. But that does not undo that does not undo or heal the incredible pain that women like Megan have endured. Megan and her husband, John, are here with us today. And in front of all the friends, let us applaud them for their courage. And I thank them for the time that I had with them today. Can we please applaud them? And I, I mention them 
because I think it's very important to understand the courage it takes to share those kinds of stories. And the reality of what is happening in real time across our country is that for every story we hear, there are so many that we do not hear about. Today, an untold number of women are silently suffering. Women who are being subjected to profound judgment. Women who are being made to feel as though they did something wrong. As though they should be embarrassed. Being made to feel as though they are alone. And to those women, I say, we see you, and we are listening, and we see your incredible strength, and we are here with you. And so as we face this crisis, as we are clear-eyed about the harm, let us also understand who is responsible? Shall we? The former president handpicked three Supreme Court justices because he intended for them to overturn Roe. He intended for them to take your freedoms. And it is a decision he brags about. A yes, couple weeks ago, he said that for years, quote, they were trying to get Roe v. Wade terminated, but he said, quote, I did it, and I'm proud to have done it. And the women should be prosecuted. Proud? Proud? Proud that women across our nation are suffering? Proud that women have been robbed of a fundamental freedom? Proud that doctors could be thrown in prison for caring for their patients? That young women today have fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers? How dare he? And the extremists are not done. This afternoon, in the Wisconsin legislature, extremists will hold a hearing on a new bill that would ban abortion in this state with no exception for rape and incest. And in the United States Congress, extremists are trying to pass a national abortion ban to outlaw abortion in every single state. But what they need to know is that if Congress passes a national abortion ban, President Joe Biden will veto it. Yes, he will. Because here's the deal about all of us.
trust women. We trust women to make decisions about their own bodies. We trust women to know what is in their own best interest. And women trust us to fight, to protect their most fundamental freedoms. And it is going to take all of us. It is going to take all of us. Joe Biden and I are fighting in court to protect women's access to medication and emergency care. We strengthened the patient privacy protection so that medical records stay between a woman and her doctor. And we are protecting the right of women to travel for abortion care. But the bottom line is, to truly protect reproductive freedoms, we must restore the protections of Roe. Because you see, what the United States Supreme Court took, Congress can put back in place. So we need a majority of leaders in Congress who simply agree, here's the thing, simply agree that the government should not be making those personal decisions for folks. And when Congress passes a law that puts back the protections of Roe, Joe Biden will sign it. So I'll close with this. It's going to take all of us to get us to that place. Everybody here. And momentum is on our side. We are winning. Since Roe was overturned, every time reproductive freedom has been on the ballot, the people of America have voted for freedom. From Kansas to California to Kentucky, in Michigan, Montana, Vermont, and Ohio, the people of America have voted for freedom. And not by a little, by overwhelming margins. Proving also, this is not a partisan issue. Tens of millions of Americans in red states and blue including here in Wisconsin, marched to the polls in defense of fundamental freedoms. So I say, the voice of the people has been heard, and it will be heard. And then I finally ask, today, Wisconsin, are you ready to make your voices heard? That was the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, on Monday of this week, the 
22nd of January 2024, the 51st year anniversary of the Supreme Court decision of the United States, Roe v. Wade. And that was a very important speech from the vice president, not just about Wisconsin, but about this country and about us as people. Again, as I keep coming back to this theme today, this really is about us. It's not about one person. It's not about one fascist. It's about us as people. What direction we choose to take a country or a world. What direction we choose to take about anything. It's about us and it's up to us. It really is up to us. I think this November, dear listener, we will make the decision that puts President Biden and Vice President Harris back in the White House. I'm very confident of that, sitting here on January the 24th, 2024. And I've been confident about it. We as human beings naturally gravitate to what is good. We as human beings, for the most part, naturally gravitate to the things that are life-affirming. We as human beings gravitate more to freedom than we do repression, by and large. The vast majority of us do. As the vice president pointed out in the speech, all of these initiatives to get rid of abortion in numerous states, they've all been voted down by the voters. And these states aren't just states with Democratic governors in them. These are states with Republican governors in them. Oklahoma, for example, among other states. So if you've got people in a Republican-controlled or Republican-governed state voting to maintain abortion rights, doesn't bode well, does it, for Republicans at all? And they know this. They know this. They know this. We vote for freedom. We gravitate to it. Having freedom is better than having no freedom. Having freedom is better than having less freedom. And I think that you and I know that, dear listener. And I also think that the country knows that. And also, I think that the world knows that. We don't celebrate people being repressed. We don't celebrate that. We celebrate freedom fighters. We celebrate freedom and we celebrate people who fought and died for freedom. We celebrate abolitionists who wanted to end slavery. We celebrate the likes of Harriet Tubman. We celebrate the likes of Frederick Douglass. These are the kinds of people we celebrate. We celebrate people who fight for freedom. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Coretta Scott King, Malcolm X, Dr. Betty Shabazz. I mean, I can go all, I mean, I can go all down the line. And we're not going back. We are going forward. Make sure that you are registered to vote, dear listener. Make sure that you are. Check your voter registration now at vote.gov. Vote.gov or vote.org, whichever one you prefer. But you can check your registration within 10 seconds. 
I'll be talking a lot more about voting very soon, and we'll be doing so throughout this year. Please make sure you're registered to vote. Dear listener, don't forget, follow along on X. Yeah, you know the address at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. And there are other social media platforms you might be able to find me on as well. Subscribe to this podcast. You know that it's on Apple. You know that it's on Spotify and Google and Amazon and Odyssey and Audible, Pandora, iHeartRadio. I could go on, but I won't. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, youtube.com forward slash at sign the politocrat P-O-D. Please go out and watch the film Origin. It's in theaters now, expanding its release this Friday, the 26th of January. Origin. What an important film that is. A fantastic film directed by Ava DuVernay. Please, please, please make it your business to go and see this film while it is in movie theaters. This is the weekend to do it coming up. This is absolutely the weekend to do it. Or if you have some spare time right now, get tickets today. Originfilm.com That's Origin, O-R-I-G-I-N, film, F as in Frank, I-L-M as in Mike, dot com. Originfilm.com is the place to go to get your tickets right now. Or donate tickets to someone. I gave away several tickets last week for Origin, and I may be doing that again. So stay tuned for that. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.